0: Wait a minute, wait a minute. The birds are spies. They the trees. One. Is it going to be all right? Hello, and welcome to All Through a Lens.
1: This is the podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric. And this episode is kind of a mixed bag. We'll be talking with Izzy Farr, who authored an open letter to Kodak that recently got a bit of attention. Autumn is basically upon us, so we'll talk a little bit about school pictures while dredging up some questionable memories. And also, pigeon photographers. What are they? And why? We've got Zine Reviews, The Answering Machine, and of course, Tiffin Sinclair's Fit With Film.
0: So sit down, shut up, and get ready for All Through a Lens. But first, mm.
1: Eric, how the what? hell are
0: you? Well, okay. I. This is weird. It's kind of the end of summer, but it's also sort of the beginning of fall, right? So I've been missing spring lately, naturally. For me, like, summer is basically over. This weekend, we're getting our first huge rainstorm of the season, And autumn here is very short. It's like in Seattle, autumn is basically early winter and winter is more like late autumn, eventually turning into early spring with like a weird snow thing that happens for a couple of days. And fuck, I miss spring. So I don't know what that means. I don't know. But I've been just dreaming about it a lot. So, and through all of that, I've just been working on a few zines, and I'll have a bit more of that on the next episode. Mm. There's a fun project that's finally going to start coming out. It's been, like, years long in the making, and I'm—well, probably about a year, but it seems like years, and this will be a years-long project, and I'm really, really excited to get it started. But probably more importantly, like, more important than anything, I finally watched The Sandlot, <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, I remember we had a watch party and I have been saying, I don't know for how many months now, I cannot believe you've never seen The Sandlot. What the hell? Oh, I think
0: it's been years. I think it's been pretty much since we've known each yeah. other.
1: It's like one of my all-time favorite movies. I love that movie. So what'd you think of
0: it? Well, I can understand why it's a classic. I really can. I can understand why everybody loves it so much. And I really, really liked it. I guess I made the mistake of looking what, at what else the director has done. <sighs> and that, that, oh boy, that was a mistake. Movie snob. He he did Beethoven's third and fourth. He did Ace Ventura, Pet Detective Junior. And there's a lot of really, really like bad movies. And you can tell that he's not a good writer and not a good director. But what made this movie so amazing, and it really is an amazing movie. And if you haven't seen it, I, I highly recommend seeing it. Are the actors the kids in it are all of them perfectly cast yes and that's what makes it the direction is is bad the writing is questionable the kids are always perfect i agree except for james Earl jones maybe like the best actor in the whole thing not great kind oh of surprising oh
1: my god no yeah. he's good shut up
0: regardless the kids were amazing it's a great movie I'm sorry it took me this long to see. It Just came out at a time when I was a little too old for that. It came out when I was a senior in high school. So it wasn't a movie I was going to go see. But I'm glad I did. Very glad I did. (laughs) Well, good.
2: You're killing me, Smalls!
0: Yeah. How about you, Vanya? What you been up to?
1: I'm just getting through the first few weeks of school. Marley's back in school. She's in high school. You guys, she's a freshman. Holy shit. Holy shit. I have a freshman. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, not freaking out at all. So yeah, just kind of getting back on schedule with that. I did a kind of like super short mini trip to Texas to surf Waco again. We got invited and, um, yeah, that was fun. Uh, except for the whole Texas thing, but I don't know, just listening to audiobooks changed a ton of light bulbs in my house and (laughs) not really photographing at all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you have light bulbs, you don't need cameras. Fun fact.
1: Well, I haven't changed any of the light bulbs in my house. I've been there for like nine years. What the fuck?
0: That's weird, Uh. right? That's a little weird. I mean, I guess light bulbs last a while.
1: Yeah. Well, most of them are multiple. So like one was out basically in all of them. And I was like, I think it's time to start changing light bulbs. Oh,
0: right. And you switched over to LED or something?
1: Yeah. Which is so confusing. You guys, I went to the... Okay. And this is basically any section ever in any store. Why is there so many options? Like, why can't there just be one light bulb? Why is there 50 light bulbs? I stood in the aisle for 20 minutes staring at light bulbs because I was like, which ones am I supposed to get? Am I sk- supposed to get the daylight ones? Am I supposed to get the calm ones? What the fuck? The relax? There's, a, there's one called relax. Relax, don't do it when you want to come. <laughs> what the? Is that, is that the one I'm supposed to put in the bathroom? or in my bedroom. I don't know. I'm so confused. I would confused. say the
0: bedroom, right? The I guess bathroom, so. one you'd want. I guess you want to relax there. Too. Maybe you want relaxing on all of them. Well, I don't know.
1: The I don't have Okay, true story. I don't have a bedroom light. I have like, like a an lamp. An overhead light? No oh, I don't. lamp. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't have any overhead lights.
1: I don't even turn on the light in my bedroom. There's no TV in there. There's nothing. It's literally just like a bed and clothes right. and stuff. So, uh-huh. I don't really like hang out there. Okay. I don't know. Anyways, not photographing. Sorry. I know this is a film photography podcast, so I should be talking about that, but I just haven't. And honestly, I am okay with that. I think I'm taking just a short little break, maybe just a couple weeks, maybe a couple days. Who knows? I don't have any plans to photograph really. So um, I'm just going to kind of wait and see what happens.
0: But we haven't done anything. We haven't done any shooting, either of us, but no. we've done lots of film photography stuff. Yes. I'm working on zines, you've done you've done a lot of developing, I've done a lot of developing.
1: Yes, I talk about film basically every single day. We write for the podcast mm-hmm. about film every single day. And I talk to people about film every single or people ask me questions and it's not there. I'm just not taking pictures right now, that's all. But there's yeah. so many other things that I could be doing, like organizing my negatives, which I have been doing, and scanning, which I absolutely hate doing.
0: I love scanning now. I don't know. I don't understand that. Okay. Well, I'll
1: send you all my negatives then.
0: Okay. I don't <laughs> want that though. Nobody wants to scan somebody else's negatives.
1: I <laughs> know. No one does. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely not. It's awful.
1: <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I'm just kind of like taking it easy. N- no worries. <laughs> and I watched The Sandlot too.
0: <laughs> you did. It was neat. We watched it together.
1: Yeah. It was called a uh, watch party on Disney Plus.
0: Yes, we are adults. And that's just how it works now.
1: It's so fun. <laughs> if anybody wants to join us, we should totally have like a watch party and, and watch something. Like we for should. maybe our next movie night. <gasps> oh Ooh, my God. chitty chitty bang bang. Here we come. Let's do this. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited.
0: Well, I guess it's that time of the episode. Again, you know, each episode, we put on our house slippers, our cozy cardigans, and check our glorious, wonderful answering machine. We ask listeners to call in and leave us a message answering whatever weird-ass question we come up with. And by call in, we mean leave us a voice message on Instagram. Vanya, what, uh, what was the question we asked them to answer this time around? Photography
1: is largely a solo venture. How has it changed your comfort with being alone? Yeah.
0: All right. I think we should maybe get some... uh... Also, when do we
1: need to change the tape? Or do you just like record over everything again?
0: I always record over it. Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. Can I push the button?
0: You push the button. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system.
1: At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press one for more options
2: travis kennedy here uh travis underscore kennedy on instagram i'm a longtime listener first time caller really it hasn't changed my comfort uh, i've always been an introvert
1: and always like kept to myself and
2: uh, that's one thing that actually drew me to photography is that I don't need to rely on anyone else. It's not like I'm doing a team sport where I need to rely on them to get the job done. It's just me. And that is one thing that I love about it. Yeah, there's the whole film community, which I absolutely love, but at the end of the day, it's just me. All right. Thank you, Eric and right. Bye.
1: I was thinking we're going to get a bunch of those because it seems like such a hobby for people that don't mind being by themselves and enjoy the silence and walking around with a camera. For me, it was like, I'm super weird and awkward looking. So if I have this camera in my hand, it looks like I'm important in doing something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So it's sort of like how I used to work at Lowe's. If you are working at Lowe's and you don't want to be bothered by either customers or fellow employees, just carry a clipboard around. Yes. Oh my God, it works so well. Yep. And like walk with like a brisk pace. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same thing. I love it. I think we have six messages and four of them are first-time callers, I believe.
1: Oh, sick. That's awesome.
2: Hello, this is Colin, which is at C-D-E-V-R-O-E on Instagram. It's not as hard to spell as conspiracy of Cartographers, but it's, uh, anyway, I should make something easier. Um, I like being alone when I shoot anything but portraits, obviously. I think it helps me to slow down. I can think through my process. Uh, I get to meditate on other things. So I really cherish the time I get to photograph alone, but I'm always eager to be able to hang out with other photographers or take pictures of people. So I guess it's a balance.
0: I mean, yeah, a conspiracy cartographer is maybe not the easiest thing to spell. I can, I'm almost, I've almost got it. <laughs> almost. I almost have it down. <laughs> it was like when I worked in a convenience store, it took me about a year to figure out how to spell convenience.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm really bad at spelling.
1: So yeah, slowing down, meditating. I like it.
0: Always eager to shoot with others though. Are you that way too?
1: I think so. Okay. In the beginning, it's nervousness because I don't know, I it's just, putting yourself out there if I don't really I don't really shoot often with people mm-hmm. but once you do it's like oh my god this is amazing I should do this more often uh and everybody's <laughs> a little different like you you like narrate exactly every single thing that you do I do every second of the day
0: <laughs> which is why it's a little embarrassing to shoot with other people
1: No, it's great, because if you want to learn about settings, just hang out at an EV, hang out with Eric. Also, still haven't figured out EV because I don't pay attention. Sorry.
0: You know EV pretty well. Eh. Now, come on. All right. I've had a lot of alone time in life for various reasons, to the point where it's a job specialty. And uh, I try to
1: make my art to express that part of me that is only me when I'm alone, to be able to bring it. Two other people, sort of like a, a, a totem, a crux of that version of me that I can offer to someone. But photography also gives me
0: an excuse to be out alone. The camera around my neck differentiates me from the usual trespasser, I think.
1: There's something about a Bellows camera from the 30s that just says I'm either far too rad or way too lame to be up to no good right now. Oh my gosh, yeah.
0: It was the clipboard philosophy all over again. It it
1: is. It also reminds me of the guy that stopped me because I was taking a picture of a building, and he was like, "What are you doing? Are you with the like newspaper or something?" And I'm like, "Yeah, what from like the 20s? I have a (laughs) Graflex with me. Like, what the yes? I'm here from the (laughs) here with the papers. I'm press."
0: (laughs) Well, I get asked when I'm out when I'm out shooting in the in the countryside. I get asked if I'm a poacher. Yeah. Which is, which is okay, but I'm, I have like this a four by five camera on a tripod. Yeah. I don't know. Did you, I don't know. When I was growing up, we had, we did something called spotting. It's, it's when you go on, in your truck and you you have a spotlight and you drive along the road real slowly and you shine your spotlight into the woods and you try to see the, the eyes of the deer.
1: I mean, people did that up North for sure, but I wasn't part of that crew. Okay. Uh, they also did like the CB wars and stuff too.
0: CB wars?
1: Yeah, the CB radio, like you have to find people. Like, I don't know, some kind of CB okay. wars. I'm sure someone would I mean, tell you a, about it.
0: I Obviously, I had a CB at one time. Did you? Obviously, yeah.
1: Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Yeah. There was this guy in a peach truck. It was like a Ford, I don't know, like 92 Ford. Okay. And he had one and it had like a loudspeaker. So he would like drive by me and be like, Freak.
0: (laughs) It's so pleasant.
1: Yeah. One time he (laughs) pretended to run me over with his mom in the car and his mom hit him like, what are you doing? And I was like, yeah.
0: (laughs) Set him straight, mom.
1: Oh, gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Yes. Excuses to be alone. 100%. You got to have balance in your life. And I'm with people a lot. And so I've come to a place where I can go, hey, I'm going to go. Take off for half the day and uh, photograph. And you guys can feed yourself because you are old enough. And uh, don't burn the house down. See you later. It's
0: a great feeling. Well, best of luck with that. (laughs) Hey, guys. I thought I'd leave you a message um, to answer your question about loneliness and photography. I actually
3: think it's been the opposite. So I'm sorry if that's not what you want to hear. I don't think... um, Being alone with my camera has made any impact at all um, in any sort of genres, to be honest. Um, I feel comfortable anyway. I think it's more of a personality trait. But maybe that's just me. So, yeah, keep up the good work as always, guys.
0: That was Andrew Walmsley, the host of Photography Insights. We've both been on his podcast, haven't we?
1: Yes.
0: Yeah, it was... A really wonderful experience on my part. And I know that you had a really good time on it. Oh yeah. Too. He's great. Yeah.
1: Um and also kind of amazing. He's interviewing like really incredible people.
0: He he is. He does some wonderful interviews. He asks some really wonderful questions. It's it's just a great listen. You should you should you should definitely stop what you're doing now and listen <laughs> to his podcast. Stop this podcast and listen to his instead. <laughs> yes. This is, it's much better than ours. Go ahead and do that. <laughs>
1: Hi, this is MFO Photos, and I would like to shoot alone most of the time. But, you know, having someone who's a good photographer with you um, and you get along well on the road, sometimes it makes the photography so much better because you take more chances and uh, explore new things. So, But being by myself, it's pretty much the, the usual.
0: And that was Mark O'Brien from Film Photography Podcast. I would and- love to shoot with Mark O'Brien, by the way. Oh, my God. Yeah. Actually, Absolutely. I would like
1: to shoot with every single person that called.
0: Well, I'm, I'm not sure that's possible, but we should try to make it possible. We yeah. can go on a caller tour.
1: One of these days, we're all going to be able to hang out with each other. Probably.
0: Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. We never, never know. <laughs> Do you think you take more chances when you're shooting with other people?
1: Um, I think I have more focus,
0: usually. With other people, really?
1: Yes. Okay. When I'm by myself and I'm listening to music or I found a really cool branch on the ground um I can get distracted quite easily
0: <laughs> I'll say
1: <laughs> also I have this thing about throwing rocks everywhere I go
0: you do yeah
1: yeah so but, that start with me yes
0: okay well kind so of I mean I've always
1: I've always thrown rocks but uh definitely started throwing more rocks when I was with you.
0: <laughs> not not at me though.
1: No, no, just like off stuff. So like if we're like, you know, at Canyonlands, I I'm like, "Wait, before we leave, I have to grab a little rock and throw it."
2: <laughs> I am an only child, so being alone is pretty comfortable for me. I usually photograph with my dog out in nature so i'm alone but not really alone because i've always got her with me and she's usually my my muse she's in most of my photography so you know it's it's a definitely more comfortable for me to to go out alone
1: honestly that sounds amazing i would love to just hang out with your dog and, <laughs> and, and go photographing <laughs>
0: Better also, than your dogs, I guess. I, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that that idea. Like, it's not, not quite like shooting with a human. You're not shooting with another photographer or you don't have like a human waiting on you, mm-hmm. which is always my problem when I'm shooting with somebody who's especially not a photographer.
1: Yes. It'd is you're making forever. somebody
0: wait, but a dog has no concept of time. So you're never making them wait or no. you're always making them wait and, and they don't seem well, to mind either way.
1: No, they're soaked. They're just like, yeah, yeah, what are we doing? We're staying here? Okay, cool.
0: I don't think I could do it. I still don't think I could do it. What? Shoot with a dog.
1: I'll bring Bodie next time.
0: Oh, please do.
1: Or Macy, maybe.
0: Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, thanks, everybody, for calling in. We had a lot of new people, and that's just awesome. Yes, thank that's you really so much. Cool.
1: Don't be afraid.
0: Do not be afraid of anything, let alone calling in. So our answers for this question are coming in the next dev party. That's how we're doing things now. So tune in for that, I guess. And Vanya, what is the question that they should be answering for the next main episode?
1: Is there a non-photographic medium that influences your photography?
0: Ooh, a lot of people will think movies and that's okay, but don't be afraid to think of paintings or any other kind of art. Yes. Yeah, yeah. anything. Sculptures, Hmm. fractals, ceramics, interpretive dance,
1: miming,
0: pottery,
1: gold digging.
0: I'm not sure that's a medium.
1: I mean, like treasure
0: hunting. Is that art?
1: Well, you said non-photographic medium. Does it have to be something that...
0: I think it's implied that it's art.
1: I don't think so. It could be anything.
0: I wrote the question, <laughs> do, do I get to decide what I meant?
1: Yeah, I guess so. Uh,
0: <laughs> it could be motorcycle maintenance. It could be.
1: Is that an art? Who are you to say that treasure hunting is an art? Is it an art it's and good point. motorcycle building is or whatever? I don't know, okay.
0: Well, but- let us know what you think of all of this and maybe it's a bad question. Let us know that too. <laughs>
2: Hey there, All Through a Lens gang. My parents always told me to lead by example, so I'm going to use myself as an example of what not to do. I like to call this little tale, Bartender, spool me another one. There I was, packing my gear for what I thought was going to be an epic night of film photography. I grabbed the essentials, which included my tripod, cable release, light meter, my RB67, my entire film stash, and a couple of snacks. I jammed everything into my officially licensed Mountain Dew tote bag, which I am tragically not sponsored by, and off I went. My plan for the night was to shoot some long exposures by the shore. I was going to shoot out into the ocean at an angle so I could capture not only the waves coming in, but the skyline from the city in the distance too. The moon was so beautiful, and so bright that evening, so I did run the risk of it blowing out my entire frame. As a result, I had planned to shoot at f11 and bracket my exposure time. As with any night shoot involving long exposures, I was going to shoot two frames at f22 with this low-level ND filter I own and expose for 50 to 60 plus seconds. Now, that may not make sense to you, but I do what I want, and that's how I learn, and that's how I totally F up and make mistakes so you won't have to. And plus, it was ISO 160 film, so... Anyways, after assessing the lighting, pre-visualizing the three compositions I wanted, and hyping myself up by blasting some Antonio Vivaldi in my AirPods, I plopped myself down on the sand... Reached into my steezy tote, and grabbed my RB67, which, fun fact, I don't know if any of you care, I have nicknamed Kokomo. I pulled out my film stash and looked at all of my options as if I already didn't know which film stock I was going to use. I finally grabbed my roll of 160, opened the film back, and right then and there, my friends, is where I took the biggest slap in the face because I did not have a film spool. The incredulity you guys, the level of incredulity I experienced was so intense. I even opened and closed the film back thinking one was going to magically reappear this time around. I even reached in frantically thinking maybe it was there, but maybe I was just not seeing it. I don't know. I obviously felt mega defeated and I just laid in the sand for a bit looking up at the stars praying to the film gods to help me materialize a film spool out of thin air. I was pretty bummed, but it helped me realize that an extra 120 spool, which is so freaking essential when shooting medium format, is not part of my kit. Is it part of your kit? If the answer is yes, then there is a high chance you are more likely to survive a zombie apocalypse when compared to me because you obviously have your head in the game and you obviously think ahead it's kind of weird because I feel like I took having a film spool in all of my film bags or medium format cameras for granted, you know? I mean, it's part of the unloading process. You wind your film, open up the camera, grab your roll, and move the spool to the take-up position, and you're set for next time. What happened this time around? I don't know. I'm thinking maybe since I have been shooting the 645 bag exclusively for some time now, maybe I used the spool from the 6x7 bag initially and just never got around to replacing it. It's the only thing that makes sense. But moral of the story, carry an extra film spool with you. Now, I'm not talking about making a cool necklace out of one and hanging it around your neck, although that does sound pretty interesting, but no. Make it part of your kid if it already isn't. It honestly doesn't take up that much space. The Snickers bar I was going to reward myself with after the shoot takes up more space than a film spool. So if that isn't the most convincing argument you've heard, well, well, that's all that I've got. Anyways, I hope you took something away from all of this and at the minimum, I hope hearing about my failures made you laugh and if it made you cringe, let me know and I'll hook you up with a Mountain Dew tote bag to make up for it. Later, dude.
0: Well, it is September now, and that means leaves are turning, pumpkin spice latte jokes are blooming, and back-to-school pics are showing up in your IG feeds. Uh, Vanya, mm. <laughs> since since you're a parent, you are a parent, is that right? I am. Yes. Do you take an annual back to school photo?
1: I do, kind of. Okay, so <laughs> I am not like the best at like the normal parental things. There's there's no live laugh love signs in my house, unfortunately. Uh, oh but no. I do take I do take a school photo. I think it's important, um, and I usually take it in the same spot that I do every single year. So uh, before I lived in the house I live now, I lived on a street called Walnut, and we had this most incredible fence in our backyard. It was weathered and kind of grayish, and it, the tones were beautiful. It almost brightened up the background, so when you would shoot against it, it would just pop. It was so beautiful. Uh, so all of my kids' school pictures are taken back there. I miss it. Honestly, I literally have thought of like knocking on the people's door that lives there and be like, hey, look, here's the thing. Like, I take my kids school photos in the backyard. Like, can I just do it once a year? <laughs> but
0: I don't know. It's if not all well. well, a weird request. So I don't know why they would say no to that. <laughs> so since you do this every year, do you have any photo tips for young parents whose kids are just starting kindergarten or first grade or whatever the first thing kids do these days?
1: One thing I notice about parents is uh, they're very controlling. I remember taking art classes with Marley when she was like, before she was in kindergarten and the art, like they would have an instruction and then the parents would try to like do the instruction for the kid and not let like the kid do it. And <laughs> I thought that was so fucking weird. Cause I'm just like, dude, just let the kid Do what? So what? Just let them do it.
0: Is this why we have adult coloring books now? Probably. Makes sense. Yeah. Go on. So
1: I would say, so my best advice is to let them kind of be the director. Like you're going to, you want a picture and they're going to have to understand you want a picture, but let them choose their clothes and shoes and backpack and whatever they want. If they don't match, so what? this is like a huge day for them. Um, And it's a perfect opportunity to give them a little bit of control and confidence. It's a very big day in their big, adorable, bobble, head-eyed innocence. (laughs) 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 I loved it. Like Marley was really into like boots and like rain boots and cowboy boots and just weird things. And she would just wear them all the time like it doesn't rain in los angeles but rain boots rule
0: yeah i mean why not (laughs) why not
1: there's a lot of there's a lot of school pictures with rain boots on
0: so not only does september mean school school means picture day and it also means shitty segues which is what we're doing right now yes so do you have any memories of picture day like when you you know, we have a lot of UK listeners. I'm not sure they have picture day in the UK. I would assume so, but I don't want to assume so. So picture day is when kids have their photo taken in school by usually an outside company. And then the parents can buy like different packages and things like that. But it's, it's pretty, it's a, it's a certain day every year. Did you have any memories of that?
1: Oh, absolutely. I definitely do. There was one in particular, I think it's fourth grade. And okay. I wanted my hair to be like the big kids with the front wave like when bangs were like all about the big wave in the front like kind of natural looking
0: so what year would this have been so we so we know which hair metal band this was based on
1: uh this would be well how old are you in fourth grade nine or ten yeah so that would be like 92 91 92.
0: oh okay so this is the tail end of hair metal Yes. yes okay fair enough
1: it was in the valley so california valley as well okay So I asked my mom to do my hair like that, but she decided that she was going to like spray it with hairspray. And then it got out of control. You know how Aquanet
0: goes. I do actually.
1: I somehow managed to have this like very stiff mushroom type of monstrosity on top of my head. It was awful. Like a hair helmet? Yes. It was so bad. (laughs) It was so stiff. Like none of the hairs were moving. It was just like Completely stiff. And I remember being so upset, but like my mom's like, Well, we have to go to school. It's not what you're going to stay and fix it. No, get out the door. You're going to miss the bus. So I had to go to school with it. And I was really upset because it wasn't what I wanted. And I ended up wearing this like ugly, like fall floral pattern dress with like some kind of pilgrimage, like white collar. <laughs> and I look awful. I look terrible. I ended up sending a message to my mom the other day <laughs> and she's looking she's looking for it for me because I really want to share it with you guys because it's it's great. <laughs>
0: well, hopefully we'll get
1: that. Yeah, this is the message. I said, "Hi mom, do you have a copy of my fourth grade picture when you hairsprayed my hair to death and I was wearing that floral dress with the white collar?" <laughs> she's like, "Vanya, I will look in my school pictures. I believe I do." <laughs>
0: I hope she finds it. Yes.
1: It's going to be a good one. I promise. It's like, I mean, it's good because it's bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> How about you? Do you have any, like, you got to have something.
0: I do. I do and I don't. I, I don't have anything specific, but I have weird, like, vivid memories of, of little slices of a photo day. Mm. Like, I remember trying to figure out what to wear and I, that was really what you could get away with because the that, for some reason... My parents, because they had to look at the pictures literally for the rest of their lives, they were very controlling over what I would wear. Mm. I was never allowed to wear Duran Duran shirts, and I really wanted to, and I had one for each day of the week, which, not shocking, but that's how it was. But I had to wear this weird, like, button-down shirts and these sweaters that went over it, and it was fucking hot all day.
1: Yeah, that's awful. I was miserable. I I remember seeing those kids in my class that, like, had to wear, like, the, like, really fancy, like, sweater vest and shit. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that was me. That was me. No tie or anything, but it was rough. It was like church clothes for school. But I also remember the camera. So I didn't for the longest time. It was just kind of a blank space there in my memory. But then after I got back into film photography, I kind of started to wonder just like, okay, I vaguely remember this being like a large, almost TV camera.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I know it was motorized. There were a lot of buttons they pushed and then it flashed and then you were done and you could never really get a good look at it. So we did some digging and we tried to figure out what the company was, what the camera was, and, and why it's you know it's a part of like almost every American kid's life. So Vanya, take it away.
1: Well, most of us were in school in the States from the eighties to two thousands and were photographed by life touch. And suddenly everybody was just hit with a flood of memories, right? Life touch. <laughs> While there's a little bit out there about the company's history, there's not much about how they shot the film.
0: So that camera, the one that we all remember, was called the LifeTouch Micro Z. The company patented and made their own cameras. And I, I, for some reason, looking at the pictures that I found, I think they were twin-lens reflex cameras, but they're huge. I heard somewhere, we'll get more into that in a little bit, I heard somewhere that they shot on unperforated 35 millimeter film, but I've also heard that they used 47 millimeter film and that's 127 size. So apparently it was rolled onto large rolls and fed into some sort of large cartridge, sort of like a film back or like something you'd use on a movie camera. And it would somehow get 1250 exposures per roll.
1: That's incredible. I want one of those. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) Also, we think it was Vericolor 3 or at least for a time. That's pro- that probably changed a bit over the decades. Uh, each kid would be photographed and the camera would expose a barcode onto the film. This would allow the company to keep track of the photo packages the kid
0: ordered, or the parents ordered, right? Yeah, kinda, we wanted, we wanted a lot, but the parents would always dial that back in for us. The Life Touch Company started in 1936, but then it was called the National School Studios out of Minneapolis. They started by covering the upper Midwest and they used trained photographers shooting mostly 3 by 4 sheets. By 1949, so a little over a decade later, the NSS was in all 48 states.
1: It's not really clear which cameras they were using in the early days, but in the 50s, they began to build their own. They started with a Model 10, a camera that we can find exactly nothing about. We believe it was probably a large box camera that would accept bulk rolls of film, maybe 120 or 127.
0: The Model 10 was used until 1980, so that's over 25 years. And it was then that the Micro Z came along. This is the camera that if you have any idea what we're talking about, you'll probably remember. It looks sort of like the Donk Droid on Star Wars mixed with a TV camera kind of growing out of it.
1: Shortly after the Micro Z became the camera of choice, the company changed its name to LifeTouch. By this point, they were photographing 16 million students per year, a ridiculous number, but they really didn't have any competition. Except Olin Mills, which had a small school division, and LifeTouch devoured them in 1999. And in
0: 1999, LifeTouch was still shooting film. In fact, the Micro Z was used until around 2008, when LifeTouch finally went digital. They had their film process so perfected, so down, that they just never really needed to change it.
1: LifeTouch did have another division that shot mostly senior pictures. They called this Prestige Portraits. Unlike the K-11th through 11th grade photography, which used the micro-Z operated by non-photographers, this division used the glorious Mamiya RB67, literally the greatest medium format camera ever made. <laughs> Who wrote <What>? this?
0: <laughs> I don't know. It's just true.
1: <laughs> they also used the Bronica ETRS, whatever.
0: Both cameras used 70 millimeter backs, which are huge motion picture film backs that they rolled onto huge reels. There was, of course, rivalry between the two divisions, but that's both annoying and uh, to be expected.
1: LifeTouch didn't want photographers. They actually preferred that their new hires had almost no camera experience.
0: Though the operators of the MicroZ cameras weren't photographers in the most strict and snooty sense of the term, their job wasn't just pushing buttons, though they did push buttons. Their job was to get kids to smile react they, their job was to make us photographable which is i mean you've seen first graders that's a hell of a job that's a hell of a task <laughs> they had i mean snot and candy and just like stuff and teeth they had to do something mm, so I, I
1: remember them like grabbing my chin and like putting yeah, my yeah. head down a little like
0: oh my god yeah that's right they, they would put you It's just flooding back now They had to put your head down this, like, weird, like, unnatural way. Like, look down like this and hold that. Like, I've never done this before in my life. I'm using muscles to hold my head still that I've never used before. Mm -hmm. But they had to get us to break out of our shyness or maybe the more excitable ones to kind of calm down. They wanted us at, like, a medium roar. I mean, look, maybe they weren't photographers, but they were our childhood heroes. (laughs) Well, they are at least our parents' childhood heroes. So our parents were really the ones responsible for all of this, and they would be the ones that ordered packages from Life Touch. How about your mom vanya what did what did you guys order?
1: okay, well, we were poor, so we usually got a very limited amount. but my mom did really like to order them i just I have this memory, and I don't remember how many years it lasted. I want to say it was like maybe just a few. And I don't know if anybody else remembers this, (laughs) but for a moment, LifeTouch would give you the whole package with all the pictures printed. And then you would take it home and pick what you wanted and then pay for it and send the other ones back. Wow. Yeah. So it's like proofs. Yeah. So like-
0: That's sneaky.
1: When you're in third grade, fourth grade, you're like, dude, I got the whole package. I got wallets. Like- Let's send these wallets out, like cutting them out in <laughs> class and writing cool notes on the back of them and, you know, trading or whatever.
0: Did you do that? Absolutely. Yep. I've heard. I mean, I did too. That was a big thing. You know, if you, if you, if somebody gave you their picture, that was, you know, it's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah like I would a put them like in card. my
1: binder or like somewhere, you know?
0: Well, I had no, it's the same with prints now. I have no idea what to do with them. had no idea. But it was nice having them, I guess. I still, I came across a few not that long ago and I still have some from from high school, I guess. I do too. I've heard that kids don't trade photos like that anymore. That's sad. It is a little sad and I'm wondering why.
1: Because they send snaps now, you know? Everything's digital. You don't need to have a picture in your hand unless you're super important. Um, Marley has a boyfriend, you guys, oh my goodness. And he brought over a picture of himself and gave it to her. So people do still share photos, but I don't think it's just like as normal. I think it's just more like family stuff now.
0: Okay. So it's more personal maybe now? Yes. Huh. Okay. Cause it was just kind of like Scott. It was just like shotgun scattered before. Just like everybody got one.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: But now it's, now it's like only the special people. I guess so. (laughs) Okay. That's cool. Well, we'll have a few links to to life touch and some of the photos of the cameras and things like that. And and hopefully Vanya's mom finds the photo of her from fourth grade.
1: (laughs) I hope so too. Our guest this week is Izzy Farr, a film photographer from London. A few weeks back, Kodak's main Instagram page at Kodak, which has over 850,000 followers, received quite a bit of criticism for featuring more than 30 male photographers in a row, even after repeatedly being called out about it in the comment section. Izzy wrote an open letter to Kodak, and it kind of went viral. Here's a little bit of her letter.
0: Scrolling through Codex’s Instagram page, something jumps out. Nearly all the images featured are by men. The selected photos are undoubtedly brilliant shots, many by amateur film enthusiasts. But you'll have to search a while before finding female photographers, about 30 posts back, and then after that, more men. Codex’s Instagram page currently does little to amplify the work of women and gender minority groups. It also clearly lacks in diversity of race and ethnicity. When an influential company like Kodak only promotes work by men, it perpetuates the false idea that serious photography is a male pursuit. Izzy's
1: letter explains that the photography industry is famously imbalanced. The majority of professional photographers are white men. 70 to 80% of photographer students are women, yet they account for only 13 to 15% of professional photographers. Additionally, she writes that, according to the U.S. Census, 73% of photographers are white, non-Hispanic, compared to 62% of the population, while 8% of photographers are black and 5% are Asian, compared to 12% and 6% of the population, respectively.
0: Her letter continues, arguably, these disparities have a cascading effect across all types and levels of photography, from hobbyist to professional. It is irresponsible of Kodak to prop up this status quo. Closing her letter, she gave Kodak a list of women photographers who use Kodak Film to create their photos, asking the company to please diversify the photographers you promote on your page.
1: Her full letter can be found on her website, BeKindShootFilm.com.
0: And now, let's give Izzy a call. (laughs) Hello. Hello.
3: Hi. <laughs> How are you guys?
0: Oh, we are doing well. How are you?
3: All right. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Thanks um, for having me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're really excited here. So let's first start with the basics. How did you get into film photography?
3: Well, um, so about just over a couple of years ago, my best friend, Josie, Who's really into photography? I can't remember the conversation, but I think she suggested film photography. I think she i guess she knew I'd like it, and so I just started out with a very basic point and shoot camera, although a very excellent one olympus x a two and mm. I took it on a holiday, and the the photos I got back from that particular trip i just i think that's what made me fall in love with it. They were just I don't know I can't I couldn't believe I was such a small camera <laughs> could produce such amazing photos and I yeah basically fell in love with photo- photography from there I didn't really have any sort of digital camera not a proper digital camera anyway before that. And then from I think as a lot of other film photographers find when people hear that you are into analog photography they give you their old cameras, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which is great. Um, and yeah, my mum's hairdresser, bless him, Brian, he gave me his Canon A one when he heard I had a, a film camera. So mm-hmm. um, and that was my first proper SLR, and that was like uh, a year and a, over just over a year and a half ago. Okay, yeah.
1: Oh, I have that camera, and it is amazing.
3: It just, it's, it's so good. It's so solid, reliable. It's, that was how I started. And then I have acquired a couple more cameras since then. I've not had really had a chance to play with them yet. But yeah, that's it, really. <laughs> that's how it started.
0: Oh, so you're still mostly shooting with the A1?
3: I am, yeah. I mean, um, and I even still use my point and shoot sometimes just because okay. I think it's brilliant. And I use it with my, if I go out with friends or something to get like sort of like candid little cheeky shots. Oh, <laughs> um, nice. Which emulsions do you usually go for? I think think in most places at the moment, it's really hard. The choice is not great at the moment. I'm really not very exciting when I come to film, I'm afraid. It's one of my goals to be a bit more experimental, but because I'm sort of relatively new to it, I have been, I stuck initially to lots of just Kodak and Fuji consumer films. Mm-hmm. And then more recently, I've been trying the professional films like, you know, Portrait and basically my go-to film is actually Kodak Gold, which I know is a consumer film.
1: Yeah. No,
0: we, we're, we're all, f- all in favor of that.
1: Yeah. I call it, I call <laughs> it mom <laughs> emulsion. Cause that's what my mom used to shoot us with in the nineties. And Aww. it's, it's got a very special place in my heart. Yeah, so, it's got a great yeah. look.
0: Your work, um, it has a real solitary feel to it. And I, I, I personally really like that. In one of your blog posts, we were snooping around. You say that you're a <laughs> sucker uh, for a photo with a max of zero to one people. And <laughs> yeah. totally agree with that. <laughs> so why do you seek out that solitude? And Is it just like a photography thing or is that a life thing?
3: Yeah, it's kind of both. So yeah, I think I think there is a bit of maybe a little bit of a melancholy feel to some of the photos, mm-hmm. or, or a peacefulness, depending on what your outlook is, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I often shoot on my own. And I like that sort of part of what I like about photography, it's sort of time on my own. And I quite that's part of part of it for me yeah I mean I have come to realize more recently that I think sometimes placing a person in a landscape shop it can really add something I think Mm -hmm. it depends really what you want I'm still a sucker for like a really desolate empty sort of landscape
0: what's it like being is a very broad question what's it like being (laughs) a woman in the film community compared to being a woman in other aspects and interests and hobbies and things like that
3: it's tricky. So I, I guess other than big brands ignoring women's existence <laughs> in the photography community, I have had actually quite a positive experience, especially more recently. I've met so many people who, you know, are like minded to have a similar interest. And it's, it's only actually really recently that I've really tapped into that. And that's given me a, more of a it's really enriched sort of social media because obviously, photography and social media are so interlinked these days. Oh yeah, that, that's really started to enrich my experience with Instagram. Because I was starting to feel quite disengaged from it. To be honest, it was I've sort of started to think, what's the point? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then comparing that to maybe my other other aspects of my life and other ways, my job is sort of kind of in a, a, a cross section between two industries, and one industry is very male dominated, which is the construction industry.
1: Yeah.
3: Oh. And the other industry is museums, which is, in the UK, it's very, very dominated by women.
0: Huh, okay. So
3: I, I am sort of con- always constantly sort of seeing these, you know, gen- I'm always thinking about gender and, and, and sex and how that kind of impacts the workspace and other and other areas of the world as well.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Okay.
3: Yeah. Although I would say I still have had an overly, I still have an overly quite positive experience with it even with work because it's um although it's although i think there should be be it should be better balanced across both industries i don't think i've come across too many negative experiences in that in that sector i think i think it's getting a little bit better i do
0: film photography is a really male dominated industry it just it always has been and the hobby is as well as far as voices go And so while there's a a ton of women photographers, the community doesn't seem to be integrating as well and as smoothly as some other industries and some other communities are. And why do you think that is?
3: I mean, for a start, I, I know, although it is quite male dominated photography in general. I don't think there necessarily are a lot more men, not by say Kodak's standards, which was like a month ago, which was like they were pre- pretty much suggesting that for every one female photographer, there were thirty men. So I, I actually think there's a lot more female photographers out there, and I just I think maybe part of the problem is people just don't realise a lot of the a lot of the people that were sort of saying stuff negative comments to the the Kodak post for example they were sort of using they were saying oh but there's just more male photographers like there, a lot of people were just sort of very happy to sort of let that be the reason yeah if all you see on these like magazines for example like like um on instagram the zines that you have mm-hmm. if you're, you are know, then you know it's quite easy to believe oh yeah there are just more you just sort of go oh, yeah it's, there's more men it's more of a male hobby i can understand what maybe what people might led to believe that but I yeah. still true mm-hmm. <laughs> well let's let's talk about
1: your open letter to Kodak uh could you explain basically what went down and how did it start with you <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah well I had noticed some of the bit larger sort of Instagram zines had did seem to promote a lot more men mm-hmm. in, and I noticed that in passing and was something interesting as well I'd noticed is that they always seem to choose each magazine seemed to feature the same photographer. It was like they it was like they were copying each other. Oh, interesting. Kind of a, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know if you've ever noticed. No, I mean, no. it's great for the photographer obviously, because it means they get loads of exposure, but it is a bit odd that they seem to copy one another. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> huh. I don't know. It's a bit lazy, I think, isn't it? But, and then basically, um, Nicole Mehiash, who I follow on Instagram, is an amazing, uh, photographer, she mentioned in her story something like oh I'm just waiting for Kodak to post a photo by a woman something like that. Yeah. And I went and had a look myself and I was just really shocked to see that there were 30 posts in a row by men and the mm-hmm. mostly mostly white men as well. Mm-hmm. So there's just clearly just an issue there. I did have a look at some of the comments, and there were people calling it out in those comments yeah. before the letter, and you know, just questioning why they are only featuring men. <laughs> and so, basically, I got I a bit angry, and <laughs> I wrote a letter on my blog, basically calling them out for their lack of diversity. And I, d- I, d- I talked a bit about the, like, the professional photography industry being notoriously imbalanced, and how the Kodak was propping up that status quo. And basically, yeah, I, I posted it and I posted an Instagram post in connection with the letter and I sent the letter to various emails and I, I had contacted the people who I'd included in the list to check they were okay with being included and they were all very supportive and all wanted to sort of share it and promote it. Awesome. And uh, I, I contacted various feature pages, like you know, like the ones that sort of feature women, with the aim of getting in contact with those curators on their private Instagram, In their separate Instagrams, would shared the letter as well. And I think that all that support and all that sharing really helped get get it going. And uh, it just got it got over three thousand likes and stuff. And for someone who had quite a small Instagram, <laughs> it was it's crazy. So, um, it basically, basically that got there. Kodak's attention.
0: Well, it took off really quickly too. It was like a morning, or well, morning here. It was like an afternoon for you, wasn't it?
3: Or was an evening and a night okay. here. I was, <laughs> I was up till like two in the morning.
0: Oh my god!
3: <laughs> there were particularly some people who really helped to get it to Kodak, like a girl with too many cameras who had her own mm-hmm. campaign. Like she really helped because she shared on her her page and she's got a big following and Mm -hmm. um bill manning from uh studio c41 he was Mm -hmm. really helpful in like because he knows a few like kodak contacts so he was really helpful with like getting it in front of people or a few days later they got in contact with me and unfortunately it was just me they didn't they didn't sort of announce anything publicly they emailed me saying they would review their content and stuff
0: kodak's initial reaction was nothing, right? Or or how how long did it take them to even address it?
3: Three days. Yeah, so nothing for three days. And in that time, they did post another man. (laughs) That's right. Oh, what a stab. Yeah. He he was actually a really nice guy, so I (laughs) felt bad for him. Oh no! And actually he was great because he thanked Kodak, obviously, for featuring him. But he also addressed the thing that was going on with Kodak. In Mm -hmm. the comments of that, his post. Mm -hmm. So that was great because obviously, then Kodak, it was another thing for Kodak to sort of take notice of. So that was great that he did that. After three days, they contacted Molly Fletcher, one of the people in the list on the letter, (laughs) and they about featuring her photo. And it was the photo that was in the letter as well. So it was like, oh, they definitely read it then. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, they, they replied to me by email. Yeah, same so they will you, their content plan, basically. And I replied saying, are you going to say this publicly? And they didn't reply. And then I basically gave them a little bit of a deadline. I gave them like five days or something. Everyone deserved the reply, but they didn't. So I ended up screenshotting it and <laughs> posting it on Instagram.
0: Nice. <laughs> <So they> could-
1: <laughs> I don't understand why they don't do that. Like, it seems like it's very kodak
0: <laughs> it, well, they, they seem to play things safe to the point where it's it's just spineless.
1: Yeah, yeah, a little bit. It's kind of a bummer. Well,
3: they really should acknowledge it because, I mean, other companies have. You know, there's been other campaigns recently. I don't know if you saw that. There was a, an article by the art newspaper that talked about this particular campaign, if we're calling it that, and um, ones that were by... Uh, other individual photographers the it was the fuji uk and canon philippines i don't know if you saw that the two photographers sort of called them out for their lack of diversity on their ambassador campaign campaigns Mm -hmm. and that led to like changes in policy a little bit like kodak now you know featuring women yeah and saying they'll change their content plans but those two companies did actually acknowledge something publicly whereas Kodak haven't. They've done it. They've sort of acknowledged things in very subtle ways. Like they've used a few photos that were in the list and they've obviously messaged me. Yeah. And they've obviously, they're obviously starting to post. They've been posting women photographers consecutively now for a few weeks.
0: They have been. Yeah. Which is, which is yeah. good, but it's, it's, it seems like a, a very deliberate mm-hmm. reaction,
3: I guess.
1: You got a little bit of, no, you got some backlash from male photographers. What were their
3: main arguments? Um, to, I guess to be honest, like there was wasn't as much as I was. As soon as it started to gain gain traction, I remember I remember thinking, "Oh God, I'm going to get trolled." <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I didn't. I, yeah, it wasn't too bad. I mean, there were a few comments on the post in connection with the letter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They basically fell into three categories. The first one was the one we've talked about was, oh, there's just more male photographers. I think people just so want to, they just so believe that. Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of a slightly nasty one, which was like people who are underrepresented, they sort of imagine this problem and it, they, they don't put themselves forward. And that's why they have this issue. It's all made up in their head. Okay. It's just not, I think there's certainly like, it's not very encouraging when these big companies, and zines don't actually feature work by women. Obviously, it's not going to encourage you to submit. Yeah. yeah
0: more why, why bother?
3: If I'm if I'm like really wanting to grow my Instagram following to support for my photography, I'm going to put and contacting these like zines actually take can take quite a lot of time. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to put my energy into something. I'm going to go to another page that I can see where I see they are featuring women otherwise you're just like well what's the chances of me getting featured on that page yeah i'm not gonna bother there's an element of truth there but i think not not to the extent of what 30 30 for every 30 men there's one woman i don't think that's true yeah uh, and then the other one was another the thing they always said was oh yeah men are just better photographers
0: <laughs> yeah <what> was- <laughs> if wow you, if you want to be featured you got to get better <laughs> <laughs> as a as a gender just get, just get better
3: yeah wow. <laughs> there's, this, there's this gene that men have that just makes it? Well, it is it's
0: a photoreceptor gene. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: Sorry it's just it's how it works.
3: Sorry, you don't, you don't have that. Um, yeah they it was so, so arrogant and there are yeah. some people there are clearly some people who were just on there for an argument and then there were some people that were actually photographers that were saying these things because I just think I think you can tell when someone you can't persuade someone yeah. you can try and then if it doesn't work, you just don't waste your energy on them. It got picked up in a couple of papers, oh, cool. and the comments from people on Twitter in reaction to those articles mm. was, was sometimes. But I just find them hilarious because they're just clearly idiots. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. they're just, okay. just saying the stupidest things. I was, I was getting called like a Marxist, and and uh, <laughs> it was just like, I don't think you know <laughs> what that means. It's I'm like such
1: mean, a buzzword right now for some reason. I don't hilarious. know. I have
0: no idea why.
1: It's very obvious when someone can't see outside of themselves, and they're like, "No, this is how it is, and this is my opinion." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, of course, because you're a white man, and you've never experienced this in your entire life. Yeah. You know, you're not yeah. a woman. We we get so comfortable with our own lives and how we see things and how people treat us, and can't imagine that anybody would be treated differently. Yeah. Which is so." weird to me it, it, it is
0: yeah. weird yes it's it's psychopathic <laughs>
3: yeah. it's and I just think if a lot of these people interpreting being something that's actually really positive as being being inclusive is a really positive thing mm-hmm. it's just adding more people
0: yeah yeah it just means more um, stuff
3: it's more stuff it's, more stuff. it's, yes. and, it's, it's and people th- there's a certain group of people that interpret it as a negative like they're having something taken away from them
0: yeah
3: and it's trying to like uh, what a lot lot of the time when these people were saying these things i was just trying to be like this isn't a negative thing this is not going to affect you yeah this is this you're not nothing's being taken away this is just about being adding like adding more people to the mix there's nothing wrong with that yeah. I think what's, if you if you interpret such a positive thing in, in such a negative way I think you probably have a bit of a kind of feel sorry for them like they have a, a bit of a sad life I think yeah
0: <laughs> well, after the letter came out and they posted the next male photographer mm-hmm. there was a, a huge backlash from them, including <laughs> from the photographer like you said Kodak yeah. never dipped their toes into that conversation
3: no, okay. they didn't. And I know, I think when I. No, yeah, they didn't.
0: Okay.
3: Uh, pr- prior to the letter, people who were posting on the posts before and were like calling, sorry, Kodak out, mm-hmm. just being like, you know, why is it only white dudes? They were sometimes replying to that, but it was a very like corporate sounding reply right. uh, that was like, we are about celebrating the, you know, it's like, well, you're not about that because yeah. you're not doing it. <laughs> okay. Um, so they did do that, but that's that's it, um, okay. really. Yeah.
0: The vast majority <laughs> of film photographers calling out Kodak were women. Mm-hmm. And why do you think men didn't and generally don't speak up?
3: From what I saw from the post with, and the, the Kodak letter, there were, there were men actually supporting, uh, but yeah, probably more women than men for sure but there were lots of men who were being very supportive as well but what uh, what i did get a lot of because although there were lots of comments and stuff on the post i got lots of dms from people as well mm-hmm. including oh. men and women mm-hmm. and a lot of the men were saying um oh gosh i feel so bad i just i just never i never noticed it mm-hmm. whereas a lot of the women were saying yeah i have noticed this for quite a long time now and i just think it's i think you don't notice sometimes the things that just don't affect you, affect you. Yeah. yeah and we're not we're all guilty of that in some way absolutely and i think i think it just isn't noticed by men and i hope that maybe this as and other campaigns like this have just maybe at least drawn people's attention to it and made them notice it because once you notice it it's hard to unsee it i think
0: yeah.
3: <laughs> it was a lot of women actually just calling it out yeah. which is a shame to see it's not it's a shame that i guess some more guys weren't calling out and sometimes these magazines on instagram unfortunately if, if you happen been say featuring just men you might have deterred a lot of women from submitting a photo or following you mm. <laughs> um in the past it's kind of like you, tr- you need to maybe try to make up that imbalance and I think that's kind of what Kodak are doing now they're just featuring women and I think it's because they they maybe realize they've damaged their reputation a bit and I think now they're featuring a lot of women that it might encourage more women photographers to submit a photo or to follow them or engage with them a bit more so I guess the letter to Kodak was successful because it was laid out quite reasonable arguments like that made Kodak look bad for not being for being so unreasonable. I mean, some people have been like calling it like activism and stuff, but I kind of just see it as common sense. <laughs> there are there are half, half the world are women. Yep. Like that's not that's not controversial. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think when you point that out to people, that in, that gets more support because they they go, "Oh yeah, why wouldn't they feature more women or or you know be more diverse it's a totally reasonable request and then therefore that damages their reputation yeah the way you maybe get to these companies is by sort of targeting that because that might affect their sales yeah (laughs) Yeah. their reputation as a company
1: yeah
3: (laughs) i mean it's obviously these companies should be trying to work against that but then it's like it is These companies do exist in a world that is unequal, and that's and that. So I don't know. It's I guess it's a combination of powerful institutions, organizations putting in the work, and then but then also individuals and general people also.
0: Yeah, I think I think it does come down to general people also. You know, we can't we can't rely on Kodak to see the way Mm -hmm. forward in film. I mean, in like buying film from them. But as far as like where the community's going, I don't know if looking to big companies is a great idea for art. That's me personally. And it's certainly Mm -hmm. it's never been big companies leading any kind of civil rights or any kind of social justice charge. They're following us. Yeah. So where can where can people find you on Instagram, Izzy?
3: My Instagram name is Izzy underscore far.
0: And you have a website?
3: I do. It's called BeKindShootFilm.com. Perfect. So you can find a
0: letter as well. Nice, wonderful. Well, thank you, like so much for coming on. It's been really wonderful. Yes.
3: Oh, thanks for having me. It's really fun. Thank you. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Behold, if you must, the humble pigeon. An historic creature known by many names.
1: The Sky Rat.
0: The Ledge Pecker.
1: Hobo Chili. Gutter
0: Chicken. Slam Nasty. The Dirty Dove.
1: The city-dwelling pigeon, though nearly identical to its rural and sophisticated cousin, the dove, has received unfair slander from its most nearest neighbors, the ungrateful humans. Through our character assassination of this almost noblest of birds, we have forgotten its long storied history of unintentional service to our own unworthy
0: species. The homing pigeon, a selectively bred descendant of the domestic pigeon, has an uncanny ability to return to its nest from quite far away. In fact, some managed to fly 1,100 miles to return to their nests. Seeing this, the humans decided to exploit this natural ability.
1: As early as 3000 BCE, the Egyptians were using pigeons to send short, pigeon-sized messages as a sort of early airmail. From then on, the method was essentially the same. Write something on a small bit of paper, tie it to the leg of the unwitting feathered friend, and off they went.
0: To make this ability work to human advantage, the pigeons had to first be separated from their nests. They were bird-napped and taken where needed. After the message was attached to their legs, the pigeon would return to the nest, likely using the Earth's magnetic field to navigate.
1: For the next 5,000 years, until the invention of the telegraph, humans relied upon pigeons to deliver the speediest of messages. Julius Caesar used them, as did the Greeks, to deliver news of the Olympics. They were employed in 12th century Baghdad, where thousands of birds were used in a complex postal system.
0: Unfortunately for humans... Pigeons were a bit on the small side. They could carry only tiny slips of paper. The sender would have to write really small to dispatch any sort of lengthy message. That is, until the invention of microfilm.
1: We'd love to go into the history of microfilm, but that's a rabbit hole for another day. For now, let's just say that it's tiny bits of film with lots of information reduced to fit its tiny size. To read this information, the images would have to be enlarged or projected. By 1850, John Benjamin Dance, the inventor of microfilm, could reduce images 160 to 1.
0: Microfilm's first uses were in the preservation of documents. But during the siege of Paris during the Franco-Prussian War of 1870, the Parisians used both microfilm and pigeons to send a ton of information out of the city and across Prussian lines. So effective were these mighty warrior birds that the Prussians used hawks to attack the pigeons. This was the first marriage of photography and pigeonry, but not the last.
1: It wasn't until 1907 when they were finally able to achieve their true potential, not only as mere inadvertent messengers, but as inadvertent photographers. Enter
0: one Dr. Julius Neubrauner, German apothecary and pigeon enthusiast. Dr. Neubronner inherited his interest in pigeons from his father, also a druggist. The elder Dr. Neubronner used humming pigeons to deliver medication to his customers. He'd bundle it up and attach it to the neck of the bird, careful not to overburden it. He discovered that they could carry a weight of around two and a half ounces.
1: It's not really known how or why the younger Dr. Neubronner found the interest in photography, but he did and quickly dovetailed it to pigeons, pun very much intended. Attaching a camera to a bird presented him with a couple of problems. First, cameras were heavy. Second, cameras were slow. Neubronner knew that the birds were fast, and so took to performing shutter speed tests. According to a contemporary newspaper,
0: Before attaching a camera to the pigeon, the inventor made a number of preliminary experiments in taking pictures from express trains while traveling at high speed in order to determine the speed of shutter required for taking pictures while the camera was in swift motion.
1: Unfortunately, the exact shutter speed has been lost to antiquity. His first camera was tiny and probably just a prototype, but it worked. The problem was that it took photos only one square centimeter in size.
0: His next attempt was four by four, the size of 127 film, which marks our second reference to 127 film in this episode. So we have a picture of his first camera, And we are going to be sharing it with you as well on our show notes or on allthroughlens.com. It's, uh, while you're there, look at all the pictures of the pigeons with cameras. They're adorable. We'll be getting to that. But this camera, it looks like it shoots almost like a panoramic shot. Mm -hmm. It's kind of rounded. I believe there's film, there's roll film in there and the lens kind of pops out. And so it, it sits on the breast of the bird and kind of shoots down forward a little bit.
1: It's odd. I would love to see it in action, honestly. Oh, God, yeah. According to a newspaper,
0: This camera was fitted to the breast of the pigeon by means of elastic braces passed across and back underneath the wings. Eight consecutive snapshots were made at regular intervals by the automatic exposing device.
1: He'd soon increase the exposure count to 30. In the same year, 1907, Dr. Neubronner submitted a patent for a dual lens camera. This was a much more sophisticated device that used a curtain shutter.
0: The dual lens camera operated under the same basic idea as the previous, but shot two photographs, one looking forward and one looking down at the same time. The film, apparently roll film, was advanced automatically after each shot.
1: The patent office refused to grant him his patent as it was too silly of an idea. Undaunted, Neubronner presented the photos taken by his fleet of pigeon photographers. The clerks likely rolled their eyes and rubber-stamped his application the following year.
0: One more year later, Neubronner was not just making public demonstrations of his feathered photographers, but was raising a bit of money with it as well. He built himself a wagon that was a combination pigeon roost and darkroom. Everybody should have one of these. He'd release the pigeon photographers from his home, and they'd fly— to their nests in the roost in the wagon, taking pictures all along the way.
1: By the time they arrived, Neubronner had drawn a crowd. After they landed, he developed their film and print postcards on the spot, selling them to the looky-loos. As with any invention, the military took notice. Most modern militaries had a pigeon division for sending and receiving messages where telegraph lines couldn't be used. Seeing Dr. Neubronner's invention, they quickly moved to incorporate it, including the pigeon wagons and darkrooms.
0: While aeroplanes and aerial photographers were used by the military, pigeon photographers could fly lower and get closer photos. They were also more difficult to shoot down.
1: And then came World War I. As far as military uses went, pigeon photographers finally came into their own. Both sides employed them, and both sides tried various means to defend against them. A newspaper from 1914 reported.
0: Now that armies actually can make use of trained pigeons as photographers, these birds are in the way of becoming important factors in war. The pigeon photographer flying above the enemy's lines in daytime brings home a tiny roll of film, a picture record of all that was beneath its flight details of the enemy's position and strengthen men and guns.
1: By this point in the war, Germany forces had about 8,000 homing pigeons, though it's not certain how many were used as photographers.
0: Following the surrender of Germany, Dr. Neubronner asked the war ministry just how effective his flying photographers were. The answer was, not very. The pigeons had, they said, no military value and their services would no longer be needed.
1: Regardless of that heartbreaking little dig, in the time of relative peace between the world wars, Germany not only rearmed, but built up their pigeon photography fleet.
0: If Germany ever goes to war again, its army will use hundreds of these flying photographers to procure pictures of enemy trenches, military bases, and shots of troops on the march.
1: Read a paper from 1931, a few years before the Nazis took over Germany. It's unclear how many pigeon photographers were used in World War II, They made the newspapers now and then, but there's scant evidence that they were actually even used. The Russian army found a German wagon with a few pigeon cameras inside, but they seemed untouched.
0: Weirdly enough, the war brought advances to pigeon camera technology. Not joking. A Swiss clockmaker made a 16mm motion picture camera to attach to a pigeon, but could find no buyers for the 100 cameras that he made—
1: the combination of photographic advances and rockets pretty well did it for the humble pigeon photographers. Since then, carrier pigeons have returned to their humble perches. That is until 1970, when the CIA developed a battery-powered pigeon camera.
0: Exactly what this camera was used to photograph is still classified. Hmm. So we will be posting... As many pictures as we can find uh, that were taken by pigeon photographers, and these are truly taken by pigeons.
1: Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love the one with their wings in yeah. in the frame. Oh, my God. It's so good. And also, I've decided that there's, like, this particular picture. It's a pigeon with a camera on, and he's kind of, like, modeling with it on, and I want that tattooed on me. <laughs> he,
0: <laughs> he looks very dapper and very interested in being a photographer. <laughs>
1: Seriously, I was like, it's, it's honestly like one of the, my most favorite pictures ever. Hey there,
0: this is future Eric cutting in. Now you might not want to get yourself a Pigeon Photographer tattoo, which is understandable, but you might be interested in our new Pigeon Photographer t-shirts. For only $18, this shirt depicting an adorably dapper Pigeon Photographer showing off her camera can be yours. Pre-orders are live right now and will continue until October 1st. 2021. Check out throughlands.com for the show notes on this episode and get your orders in quick. These won't last long. Operators are standing by. <laughs> I, I don't think we did a very good job of explaining how the cameras worked. And honestly, I'm not a hundred percent sure. It looks like there's a plunger on the camera for the shutter and that through like maybe a spring or a pneumatic something, that pin is pushed back up in intervals and at each interval you can tell there's like a little notch on the pin it mm-hmm. probably takes a picture
1: yeah so it's like a self timer and while the bird is in flight it it takes a picture every however many seconds or minutes
0: and the the swiss one was the first clockwork pigeon camera and probably the, the last honestly but the first ones were pneumatic they they were run by this kind of automatic spring it's an amazing little piece of, of pigeon history, I guess, which is there's lots and lots of books on pigeons and wartime and carrier pigeons and homing pigeons and all of that.
1: <laughs> there's a website, which we should add as well. Okay. And it shows all of the animals that have like done service to humans. And there are like 32 pigeons on there with awards.
0: <laughs> like for, for wartime awards? Yeah. Like medals of honor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll we will we'll will send a link that link along. it's it's so bizarre. But I think what's really the most bizarre thing is that the CIA in 1970 was like, shit, let's try that again. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well I mean we're still making, we're still doing stuff like that. We have drones now. It's basically the same thing. It's true. We just use birds instead.
0: We we salute you. Photographers of the air, thank you for your service. <laughs> yes. Enjoy your retirement. Sorry for all the bad ideas that we've had as humans. <laughs> Zines are fast, cheap, and out of control. At the very least, they're one of those things. But whatever. Each episode, we like to review a zine or two that we've recently received. In this episode, we've got two of them for you Vanya, what is the zine that you will be telling us about?
1: Well, I got David Weewell's new zine, Portraits in Paradise. <sighs> it's a half-size zine and this fucking zine is a pleasure. <laughs> Seriously, I like what he did here. I don't know why I didn't think of this. He has like kind of a somewhat like matte cover. Okay. But then the inside pages are super glossy. I seriously can't remember anybody doing this. It's kind of amazing.
0: <laughs> the glossy pages look good? Because sometimes it can get look a little, eh. No,
1: no, really? no. This this works perfectly. Nice. I, it's actually, it pairs nicely with his 4x5 portraits. Yes, 4x5 portraits using black and white, expired Tri-X 320 and T-Max 100. Ooh, cool. Oh, and did I mention he's using the freaking Super D? <laughs> That's the- <laughs> If that doesn't- it- inspire you
0: i don't know what will and so the super d are the big box camera looking graphlexes that aren't box cameras they're just in a box
1: yeah so is that a box camera
0: i don't think it is
1: hmm okay well yes graphlex super d with the chimney and all of that it's chimney 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 is that one of the words i don't know how to say that is
0: it is one of the words you don't know how to say.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just say things the way I wasn't saying, I guess. Well, I absolutely love the Graflex Super D and these portraits are just like incredible. They're It made me inspired like, oh my God, I got to pick up my camera. So that's good. Thank you, David. It's all the shallow depth of field goodness that you could possibly want. It really shows the beauty and brightness of his subjects. I just... Absolutely adore black and white portraits. Uh, color portraits are great, but for some reason, there's something about that black and white. Just gives you more emotion, something deeper. I I I feel like I look at them longer. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Uh, These people seemed quite happy to get their portraits done by David, and I can see why. It really shows how comfortable they are with him behind the camera. It's excellent work, and it's definitely worth a look. So if you want one, you got to contact David, so at David Wewell on IG, and they're about $25. You just got to DM him, and then he will give you the coordinates or tell you how to do it, because... That's what he told me. You
0: have to meet in like a, an undisclosed location, like some sort of <laughs> I don't know. photography zine rave?
1: <laughs> Probably. Okay. Yeah. What's you right? actually have to like go get the flyer and then it'll take you to another place to get another flyer. And then after that, you get the address. And it's usually some like downtown Los Angeles business district area.
0: I love the idea. Perfect.
1: All right. So we got one more. Let's talk about it.
0: Well, this is Better Off Issue 3.
3: Yeah.
1: Better Off Zine,
0: it's a zine series edited and designed by Travis Kennedy, who you might remember as the first person who called in this week. And he is at Travis underscore Kennedy on Instagram. Each issue features a different photographer, so he's kind of the editor. Issue 3 features the work of Chandler Flanagan, who is at Disposition Pictures on Instagram. Her work includes a lot of cyanotypes, and those feature prominently in the zine, including the cover. So where the paper used for the original cyanotype print, it's kind of curling up a little bit. And when it's printed on the cover, it kind of like invites you to open the zine. It's really clever. The zine itself progresses from full page spreads of black and white and color to Polaroids. And then from there, to like emulsion lifts to cyanotypes incorporating like gold foil and text. There's really a lot of things happening here. These cyanotypes are mostly prints from photographic negatives, so they're not like, they're like like leaves on cyanotype paper. These are photographic prints. It's really impressive, I love it. Though so then we double back through color film spreads and Polaroid lifts again to the end of the scene. So out of the three issues that Travis has released, I'm most intrigued by this one. He's just getting better at what he does. First, I would love to see more collaborations like this with an editor pulling together work from another photographer. Charlie at Themselves Press, we had them on, oh, a few episodes ago, I guess. I think I think we had them on last season. Uh, they do it incredibly well, and so does Travis. I'd also like to see more zines that feature cyanotype prints, especially ones that are made from negatives. They make up maybe half the content here, and while the regular photographs and the Polaroids and the lifts are really, really wonderful, her work with the cyanotype process really stands out. And yeah, pick this one up. Check out betteroffzine.com and at betteroffzine on Instagram. It's just $10 plus shipping. There's really Mm. no reason you don't already have this.
1: And Travis is amazing. Oh God, Um,
0: Travis is like the most supportive guy in film photography right now.
1: Seriously. (laughs) So thank you so much for calling in. And then also we got to review your zine on the same episode. So that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) All Through a Lens is brought to you by our lovely Patreon subscribers. Patreon helps us pay for hosting, books, and our Newspaper.com account for research, audio equipment, and much, much more. We would like to thank our subscribers for their support. We couldn't do it without you.
0: If you like bonus episodes, full-length interviews, and extra nonsense, you can become a Patreon subscriber. We've got three different levels of support cheapest being less than a bucket episode. Shh.
1: So head over to patreon.com/all through a lens for more info. It's like nails, like people like the do
0: They do that? Yeah, it's like Shh. <laughs> So Vanya, what does the next week look like for you film photographically speaking?
1: Mm. Well, I'm not 100 percent sure. I don't know if you remember in the beginning of the episode, (laughs) I was talking about not really photographing much, but I am headed to surf on Saturday, so I probably will shoot a little bit then. Also, I'm really excited about taking my Graflex out, so maybe I'll bring that with me.
0: Oh, which one are you talking about here? You've got several. Super D. So the Super D with the chimney.
1: Leave me alone with my chimneys, okay? (laughs) I'm not going to really like push myself, but- We'll see how it goes. I just want it to come naturally, honestly. So we'll see what happens. And I'll let you guys know next week. (laughs) How about you? What you got going on?
0: I'd really like to start working on my panoramic triptychs again. If you're a patron subscriber, I did a little blog post about them. So you can check that out there if you haven't already. These are photos where I take three individual shots with the Those are four by five shots, moving the camera so that it's one continuous scene. It's like a panorama in three panels, essentially. I have some ideas for locations. I just need to take the time to do it. They're very labor-intensive. It's very thought-intensive. Each panorama, each of the three shots, they, they take together about 30 minutes of setup and calculating and all of that. I actually rehearse the shots, sort of like blocking on stage or with a motion picture camera. I sort of run through it, I drew a dry run. It's a really whole ordeal, but I really, really love it. So I know I talk about Eastern Washington probably too much, and I do apologize for that, (laughs) but I've been watching the few videos on YouTube by Nick Zentner. He has a ton of videos up there about the geology of Eastern Washington and of Washington state and the Pacific Northwest in general. There's a set of videos he did, four of them, where he's touring a place called Moses Cooley, which is one of my favorite places on earth, with Randy Lewis. Now, Randy is a Wenatchee Piscosa tribal elder and historian. He's a wealth of knowledge on old Wenatchee stories. Let's just say that there are a lot of fun things, including a story about Coyote's penis. Really wonderful stuff. I can't recommend them enough. And if you don't, even if you don't know the area, I think it would give you a little idea of the unknown history that's kind of everywhere that has been lost. And a lot of these stories, he's the only person who knows these these areas. So when you're out there photographing these areas, it's anywhere at all. You you understand that. Maybe that mountain means something else to somebody, to a whole culture that we just don't understand anymore. That's, that's maybe lost or maybe just not known to us. It's just something that really keeps me in mind where I may be looking at a rock formation and I'm thinking it's really pretty, but there's probably a deeper meaning to it to people who have lived there for literally thousands of years. And it's just something to keep in mind wherever we're going. I agree. Also, I really miss camping and I hope I can get out there and camp again. I'm, I'm jonesing to be in a tent. <laughs>
1: All right, and before we completely say goodbye, definitely check out our next dev party for our answers to the question as well as what we're developing, I'm assuming, because it's a dev
0: party. <laughs> we'll be developing some high-speed film, 3200 speed. You're doing TMAX, is that right?
1: I don't know, TMAX or Ilford,
0: one of those. Yeah, well, I'm doing Ilford Delta 3200, and all of nice. our shots were shot indoors, or pretty much most of them, Indoors Mm -hmm. without a flash. This is natural light at 3,200 speed. Easy enough. Easy enough. Tune in to see how we did it. One week from today.
1: Thank you for listening to All Through a Lens. If you'd like to contact us, we're at Podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at Gmail. And we're at allthroughalens on Twitter. You can also check out our show notes on allthroughalens.com.
0: Tanya is at Surf Martian. And
1: Eric is conspiracy.of.cartographers.
0: Dot dot Both on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag your stuff, hashtag All Lens podcast, to be featured.
1: We also do a Spotify playlist for each episode. So check those out and see what we're listening to. Just search All Through a Lens.
0: You can also find our episodes on Spotify, as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever the hell else you find the podcast, including the one you're listening to now. Subscribe and leave us a review.
1: The music you're hearing now Is from Last Regiment of Syncopated
0: Drummers Which you can find at lastregiment.com And thank you all So very much for listening We love you See you next week at Dev Party Uh Vanya Yeah? You wanna go out and shoot? Fuck yeah I do Let's go
1: We just made it way kinkier (laughs) (laughs) You know that right? Like now it's like a full kink
0: Uh, Wherever we can do to help.